Luke, welcome to the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. So we know each other through the Community Builders program at AWS. And um, I first met you uh, as part of that program, looking at people online who, uh, you know, were involved, who were sharing content, uh, looking at the developer tool space. And I'm like, wait a, wait a second, who is this person that has, I think at the time you had almost every certification. I know now you have all 12 and I want to get to talking about that. Like to that, that's crazy to me because at the time I was just getting my first, I was getting cloud practitioner and I was like, oh, okay. I'm excited about one. Here's, you know, I think you were at 10. I don't think you had the Alexa skill uh, one about builder yet. So I think that's right. I got that in February somewhere, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and I know you just recently switched uh, roles too. So give me a little um, a background of your cloud journey, where you were and uh, the new job, because I'm excited to hear about it. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I started, uh, I studied uh, technical computer sciences here in the Netherlands. Uh, and even during my, my studies, I was looking for extra challenges. So well, I figured I'd start my own company during, uh, well, during my college with a few college friends. And we started building um, uh, mobile apps, so iPhone and Android. Uh, there was no Android back then, but in, in the years after. So we read the stories about App Store millionaires, right? You build an app, you sell it uh, 100,000 times, and then you're a millionaire. We figured, well, we want it in. So, um, so we started that. We figured out it wasn't that easy. Um, so then we got into building apps for, uh, other companies. So business to business. And for years, we built a lot of a, sport, a sporting applications. So sports like cycling, field hockey, Olympic games. And what we built was, um, was live sports tracking, uh, for those events. So for the Olympic games, I think it was 2012. Uh, we tracked 43 sports uh, with live results and push notifications and so on. And we were one of the first to do that. So that, that was really cool. But also back then, there wasn't a lot of cloud yet. So we, uh, yeah. we built our own backends. We had these racks full of Dell servers and there were the, the, the networking and the power supplies and everything was in there. Um, and and that was really my my thing. I, I really liked building that infrastructure, uh, but I come from a software development background. So uh, after a while, we got acquired, and uh, I stayed for a little while. But I I sort of hit uh, the roof of uh, how far I could grow in that new company. So then I made the switch to a consulting firm, which was my previous job, and they were all in on AWS, and that just clicked for me, right? Uh, I had the software development background, I had this passion for infrastructure, and in AWS, those worlds collide in a, in a very good way. So now I could use all that experience and, and, and uh, my training as a software engineer and apply it on my infrastructure, and I didn't have to lift these, these heavy servers and, and drive in the middle of the night to the data center to fix a power supply and all of that anymore. And we could scale infinitely and immediately, right? So that was really cool. Uh, stayed there for a little while and, and learned a lot about AWS and got all the certs, as you know. And now last week, I switched uh, jobs from uh, from Sentia, which was the consulting firm, 
to the Dutch Postal Service. And I, uh, I guess we'll talk about that later too. Yeah, I mean, how is that, like, is, were they involved with AWS for a while, the Dutch Postal Service? Or is it, are you going into a company where you're building everything out? Uh, yeah, so they've actually been on AWS since 2011 and were oh, wow. uh, probably the first enterprise in the Netherlands uh, to, to go to full uh, public cloud. And actually, uh, well, they've been doing a lot, um, but mostly as as a uh, as a firm with a lot of um, other companies building their uh, their products. And now, in the last few years, they're pulling their their development back in house. Uh, and actually, they made the decision to uh, to do the fully serverless, which is one of the reasons. Uh, well, I joined. That's awesome. So you have the ability to kind of start from green fields there to be able to uh, build out all the different services. So what, when was your, what was your first cert? What was your approach to this? Cause you have a unique approach and I want to talk about it. And I love this approach. I'll, I'll let you go into it, but I, the way I describe it to people <laughs> is it's almost like um, you learn by doing. Like you, you, you took these certifications without looking at it as a bunch of questions on a paper. And I'll, and I'll let you go kind of into that approach of figuring out the, the, the space of what the questions might be about, but then giving yourself real world experience, even if you're not, even if that experience isn't on the job in necessarily the role. Um, and I just, I just think this is like a really great way of, it's almost like a self-apprenticeship. <laughs> it takes longer, but I, I just love this approach. So like how, what was the genesis of that? What was your first exam and when did you start looking at that? Did you take like certifications, like, like courses in the beginning and figure out, you know what, this isn't working for me. I need a different kind of approach. Yeah. So, uh, my first was the uh, developer associate, which makes sense, I guess. Um, that's the one and, I'm studying for now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they said it was the easiest one. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if that's still true of the associates, uh, but it's a bit focused, right? It, it doesn't. You don't have to know all of the services and and all of the things that AWS does. It's just a, a smaller subset, so that that allows you uh, to focus. And um, yeah, so what I did was uh, look at the topics. And I, in my first month at Sentia, I was just uh, jacked into a cloud guru, right? Looking at all the videos and all, all the topics. And that gave me a really good sense about what was out there and what I was expected to know. But I also learned immediately that you cannot learn AWS from a screen or from a, a book, right? Because whatever you read or, or watch, it's not really gonna help you understand how it really works and what you can really do for it with it because there's just too much. And so I started just building things. I Well, again, I have this uh, software development background, so I figured, well, let's just build a few Lambdas and let's just see how can I make a web page? How can I do, I don't know, a Route 53 uh, deployment with a failover to, to S3? And by doing, you well, you get the experience and then when you get an unexpected question, something that you didn't study for uh, on the exam, 
you can think, okay, I don't know exactly what the answer is, but in the context of AWS, this answer probably makes the most sense. And uh, well, that helped me a lot. How did you frame the initial question? Like, did you download the exam guide? Um, were there, like, I'll give you an example. Like for me, if I was going to go in, start an entirely different area, like maybe I'm a developer, I've got associates and I want to go into machine language, right? Uh, machine learning. And maybe I don't have a background in that. Did you pick up other books on the topics or did you like take a specific tool like SageMaker or something like that and start playing in there and you kind of found the that area, uh, like you learn that area of the cloud through the service itself. What was your approach to that? Because like, how long did this all take you? What was each, like, what was each exam? Was it like every 30 days you were doing another exam or was it like breaking it down in the topics like that and learning the, the background in that area? Well, it was very, very much related to my work as well, uh, because I, I had to get at least one shirt, uh, uh, to get access to certain systems. And uh, um, so I got the first one in the first month. And then I think I didn't do one uh, for another half year or so. But then I actually did the other two associates on the same day. So in the morning, I did the solutions architect. And in the afternoon, I did the sysops one. Because there's a lot of overlap, right? So I figured, well, right. it's easier to... That is wild, on that. for the record. That is wild. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, so, and then I think I, I didn't do a few for another few months and then I did the solutions architect professional, uh, a month later I did the DevOps professional and another month later I did the, uh, security specialty. And I think that was my first year in AWS. Um, and then I didn't do any, I think for another year and a half or so. And actually what happened then is um, there was a, a desire to train uh, some of my colleagues for the Solutions Architect Professional uh, course uh, or exam. And I figured, well, I can train them. I can build a course uh, to actually educate them. Um, and this course is actually still available on YouTube. You have to Google it, I think. Uh, Google my name and Google uh, um, Solutions Architect Professional and YouTube and you'll find it. So it's 16 weeks of uh, 16 sessions spread out over 16 weeks with a topic every week. And as I was studying or actually as I was building this course, I figured, well, I really need to know more about this uh, to be able to teach others. Uh, and that actually allowed me to do all the other um, or a lot of the other exams as well. So the I got the networking specialty and the database one and the database analytics one because I figured if I have that level, then I feel confident that I can explain it to somebody else as well. Which one was the hardest? Machine learning uh, by far. Yeah, wow. I believe. Yeah. I, how, what was your approach to the machine learning one? So I started by, by actually studying books. It's maybe a bit of an um, uh, exception to the rule or at least so I thought. So I was studying actual neural uh, neural languages and, and everything with, with well, all the difficult math and so on. And I figured uh, I was studying that. I thought, well, this is not going to work. Uh, I can't remember all of this. I'm not a, math a mathematician. And I think uh, uh, you sort of have to be uh, if you want to study it that way. 
So I figured, well, isn't there a problem that I can come up with to solve with uh, machine learning? And I was doing a lot of Sudokus at the time, right? The puzzles with the, with the nine numbers. And um, what I figured was I have this, this puzzle and I did them at, at this, this difficult level. Um, and every now and then I get stuck and I can get stuck for days. And that takes the fun out. But I don't want to look in the back of the book what the next number is because it's just going to be a random number, right? And it's not really going to help me understand the puzzle. So what I thought was I can uh, write something, probably just in Python or whatever, that looks at the puzzle and says, um, this is where you're at now. Because of this, this current state, the next number that you should be able to find is this one. And it is this one because of this and this and this and this. So it helps you explain the puzzle instead of just giving you a random number. Well, you can do that without machine learning. But I did it anyway because because it, it's it's fun. Um, but then you have uh, the puzzle itself. It's eighty one numbers, and I had to type all of them into a website uh, to actually tell me what the next step was. And I'm a developer, so I'm lazy. So I figured maybe I can use image recognition, and that's where the machine learning comes in, to mm -hmm. take a picture of this Sudoku, and it re recognizes the numbers and says, hey, this is the next step that you should, yeah, you should take. So I worked on that like for weeks, and I didn't actually finish it because it, it's a, actually a pretty bit uh, difficult uh, problem. But it did tell me or teach me a lot about machine learning and help me uh, pass the exam. I love your approach because it's very... Um... It's almost childlike, like it's playful. You, it's fun. Yeah, it's not something. It doesn't feel like school. It feels like learning in its purest sense, which is awesome. Yeah, the entire thing that helped me get the twelve certs is because I I like studying that way. I like doing it, and I like the challenge. And you said it's almost like a game, right? Well, at some point when you have like nine or ten certificates. You're going into well. I gotta catch them all mode, right? Uh, yeah. I'm not not gonna <laughs> let those last few go. So That's the true. gamification part is definitely uh, a part of it. This makes complete sense. Now I think you just released a video on prototyping, um, maybe for CDK Day. What talk to me about your thoughts on prototyping? Yeah. Uh, so so I built a lot, right? Uh, small things, big things. They don't have to go into production but just to, just to learn um and i used to do that in the console right you just go you create your lambda function you write your uh, your stuff and then you're copying your code from your desktop into into the lambda function all the time and it's actually pretty cumbersome but it was the fastest way uh, to prototype and for me the release of the the cdk was actually a game changer there because before you had to do something like Terraform, which is difficult, or you had to do CloudFormation, which is really cumbersome, mm -hmm. uh, or you had to do some other solution, but nothing was really natural. And that's why you didn't do it. And then with CDK, uh, well, I'm a Python programmer. I now have Python as uh, my language, and I can go really quick uh, in, in building my infrastructure and also building my application and deploying it. Uh, and it, it's actually become faster uh, to prototype products in, in CDK for me now 
uh, than amazing. it was in the console. Yeah, fantastic. So you you are a proponent for uh, infrastructure as code or IAC and CICD. Talk to me more about that. Yeah, so again, my software development background really uh, um, uh, created my view on that. Uh, mm. I'm I'm used to being able to to copy uh, or to not have duplicate code, uh, to be able to have version control, to do rollbacks and so on, and and with my history with physical servers well if you make a mistake you make a real mistake right if you yep. cut the cable well there's no rollback there nope <laughs> um so when you're doing infrastructure um i really believe that you should apply those those software uh, principles on your infrastructure and, and infrastructure as code is an essential component there mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's, I think it solves so many of the human issues of it, because it's, you know, it's trackable, it's in version control, you know, what changed. Um, and so you can roll back or fail forward, depending on your uh, feeling for the day, <laughs> and see how that works. That's amazing. Yeah. And especially um, for for prototyping, when you, uh, when you're done, it's also a lot easier to clean up, right? You just delete the stack, you're done. Uh, Previously, yeah. I just terminated my account and spun up a new one, but uh, this is a bit clearer. That's fantastic. And you work a lot with serverless. Um, do you feel like that's where that'll be the default in the future, where we we rely on serverless most heavily, and then you know tailor larger, more complicated projects around that? Or what do you think? I think there will always be a a world for both, um, yeah. but. Many projects uh, would definitely benefit by starting in serverless and then probably be in there uh, for years and some will never leave. Uh, but there's also this argument that at some point when it becomes really big uh, or maybe um, there are the spiky patterns, you just have this, this straight pattern all the time, it's cheaper uh, to not do serverless and just use an ECS cluster or, or whatever. Uh, so there will always be use cases. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I would always start in serverless nowadays. Brilliant. I love it. And what are your sort of current passions outside of collecting certifications? Um, <laughs> which at this point, we should probably have you create these, <laughs> these certifications. <laughs> but outside of that, what are you, what are you excited about? Uh, well, the honest answer is actually my kids. Uh, I have two of them. Uh, and one is uh, eight months old. The other is uh, three years old. And oh it's, my gosh. Uh, it's just a lot of fun, but age, also, yeah. well, it keeps you busy, right? I, I don't really have time for other, other stuff. No. Um, and you don't sleep, not with an eight month old. Yeah, well, maybe well, yours is a, better than mine. Mine was terrible at sleeping. She's just starting to uh, to sleep all night, so that's good. Uh, so my my, I actually picked up an old hobby, and that's uh, reading book books because oh. you can uh, just do it in between. And uh, so I'm really a, a sci-fi fantasy uh, guy. So uh, uh, that's that's the main thing. Uh, mm -hmm. I used to game a lot. I don't have time anymore. So reading books, it is. Yeah. What do you have any sci-fi recommendations? I need to read more fiction like you know i got i got caught up on the executive nonfiction reading list for a period of time <laughs> it's like you know how people compete and this might also be an american thing where it's like well have you read the latest by dan pink it's like <laughs> you probably didn't either first of all um <laughs> but yeah i'd love your sci-fi recommendations 
Uh, yeah, so uh, I've been reading uh, Alistair Reynolds uh, in the last year, a sci-fi writer, has some great series um, uh, and some stuff that I read the year before is, um, I actually can't remember the name of the series, it's by Patrick Rothfuss, uh, The Doors of Stone, uh, I forgot the name of the series. Um We'll have to put it in show notes, I guess. Yeah, we'll find uh, it and then put it in the notes. Uh, but it does have a bit of a, um, um, a Songs of Ice and Fire problem, which is that um, the first two books have been released and we're waiting for the third book for <laughs> about 15 years now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> just like uh, Games of Throne, uh, Game of Thrones. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, so, yeah. But th- those are great, great authors. That's awesome. Do you ever see, um, there's a new show, uh, it's on Apple TV, and it's from the writers, and he's an actor from um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and it's called Raven's Banquet. And I think, if you haven't seen this before, I think you'll, I, I think you'll love it. It's called uh, Mythic Quest. Mythic Quest, Raven's Banquet. Mythic Quest is the, the, uh, the expansion they have for it. But the entire thing, it, you, it's totally relatable for anybody in the tech industry, anybody who writes code, but it's based around trying to write a massively multiplayer online game and all of the personalities that go into that. And one of them is this science fiction writer from the seventies. And he's the same thing. He never finished his last book. And there's like an episode where they get into the whole area of these authors who have never finished their last book. Um, or they like, it kind of goes off a cliff and, um, it's just really like they, they take, uh, I don't want to spoil it too much, but it, they, they, they'll take scenes from different points in life. So there was just one really good episode was when this writer was a young man in the seventies, like trying to make it into the science sci-fi industry. And like, he meets Isaac Asimov in the, in the conference room who's signing books. And, and, um, he like writes, rewrites some of the chapters. I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get into it too much, but I think you'll find it. It's, it's, it's awesome. And, um, you know, it's, it's all, if, as long as you have the Apple TV app, I think it's free. I know. Yeah. <clears throat> One of the things too, um, I, I, and I'm like sure I'll share these in the notes, is that a lot of what you created too, you've shared online. So you have a GitHub that has a lot of the stuff that you built to study these exams, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So actually, uh, my my mantra is uh, if you want to learn, teach. Uh, because I, I really think the best way uh, to to force yourself to really understand the topic is if you can explain it to somebody else. So I've written a lot of blog posts. I've done uh, some YouTube uh, and I have some projects on, uh, on uh, GitHub. And if you just see those projects as somebody else is going to have to read this or, or, or look at this or try to install this and try to understand what is happening, that automatically lifts up the quality of what you're doing by, by far and it it teaches me so much about the the, the products if i even just imagine explaining it to to somebody else yeah explain it to me like i'm five is that the yes isn't that the acronym <laughs> yeah all right yeah, exactly I'll, but I'll i think that's that how open. you know you know something like if you're able to take yeah. something complicated and distill it into a simple language that shows expertise for me Luke, how can people get a hold of you? Like, what's the best way for them to interact with you? 
Uh, I guess the best way is uh, on Twitter. I'm really active there. Um, so my name uh, is, uh, well, I have a Dutch name, right? Um, so it ends in O-E-D, which in Dutch you pronounce as uh, Luc van Donkersgoed. So the G-O-E-D is the same as good, G-O-O-D in, uh, in English. So my Twitter handle is donkersgood with O-O-D. It's almost the same as my name. And I love it. The actual reason is is that the other one was taken. But well, <laughs> that's all. I had I had no idea when I saw that too. I was like, because I originally thought I misspelled it the first time mm-hmm. I saw it compared to your name, and I was like, maybe it's a play on word. Like <clears throat> Donkers was your nickname, and you're good. You know, like <laughs> yeah. it's like Donkers good, and then that makes perfect sense that it's just us English speakers uh, speakers yeah. who don't really get. Uh, yeah, there's the this really currency. inactive user. Uh, her last post was uh, 2015, and she has my Twitter name. But well, yeah. what can you do? Yeah, there's a at Emily Freeman is the same. I think it's 2013. She has like yeah. three posts. I'm like, could I? <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah, <laughs> there's a there's a Dave Dev too. I met him. Uh, it, it's Dave Evans, and it was funny because I met him. We were at um, this is a Xamarin conference before they were bought by Microsoft. Um, and he was in the same space as I was in Microsoft too. So I was working on Silverlight, uh, and that whole like rich internet applications. And he was instructor for Silverlight. Um, and so that's why I did the, it wasn't like I was full of myself. Like I'm the Dave dev. There's only one. I had no choice. And I had already done like the whole Dave dev thing as like a brand around blogs. And it had, it's what I was using in speaking. So there's a selfie out there I have with him somewhere from like 2008 or 2009, where it was the coming together of the Dave devs. And people used to tweet him all the time because it was like everyone in early days, everyone forgot the so he was getting all messages and he'd be like, Dave, I think this person's talking to you. I was like, thanks, Dave. Together <laughs> we can form the power of the Dave Dev. I love it. Luke, <laughs> yeah. it was such a pleasure having you on. I think it's amazing. And thank you for inspiring or inspiring other people to uh, pursue that. Yeah, it was great fun. And thanks for having me. Great seeing you.